fire started this morning, we have five dead bodies. Owner says they came in together, caught a show, and got a room. The room with the emperor-sized bed was available. Have fun. Pretty awesome. He's been eviscerated. By what? I don't know. Pretty sure he didn't die from the fire. Rocky? How are you here? For every innocent soul whose blood is spilt, he takes a guilty one. I can help her. Okay, she's alive. I am completely sane. If we get off this bed, we'll die. <laughs> He was being punished for what he did to that child. No one on that bed is innocent. almost chopped my mate's finger off. This is what our killer looks like. Tired. Everyone has been affected in one way or another by this terrible tomato onslaught. There was a, a standing lamp in this room. What happened to it? Attack of the Killer Objects! Hi, welcome to Attack of the Killer Objects. I'm your host, Anastasia, and with me again is Keith from XO. <laughs> yeah, and How to Write a Novel podcast. Hi, Keith. Hey, that's an exciting thing, by the way, my How to Write a Novel thing. I've yeah. been doing that podcast for five years, and there's only two more chapters left on my stupid novel. I've almost actually written a novel. That's excellent, Keith. Yeah, because every once in a while I get an email where people are like, hey, dude, like, it's interesting to hear your process and stuff, but it's literally been five years. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. It's really hard. Yeah. I mean, George R. R. Martin's been writing Winds of Winter a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it always makes me feel good when I hear someone say, like, my book took seven years or whatever. I'm like, sweet. I'm still uh, coming in under the wire. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. It's fine. Nobody, I don't think anyone, like, other than just for, like, capitalist reasons, I don't think writers typically want to be James Patterson cranking out multiple novels a year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's an argument to it if you're, like, self-publishing. I mean, there's some weird stuff, not to get off on a tangent right away, but, like, if you're, uh, you know, selling your books just on Amazon or whatever, like, self-publishing, you can really get into some weird niches. Like, uh, obviously, vampire fiction is popular, but there's every... <laughs> kind of vampire like there's mm -hmm. there's literally vampire knitting circles that's a genre like vampires who knit as a hobby and if you're doing that stuff you got to put a book out like twice a year because you know <laughs> just you need more <laughs> you, so, you're, you're killing me that's a real thing <laughs> that's a real thing so i'm going for the opposite i'm hoping you know i can spend my entire life on one book that 
you know, is like a meteor that affects the earth, but they're doing the opposite. They're like, we people just need more vampire knitting circle books. So you just that's when you hit your word counts and you don't fuck around. But you can like you can pay your mortgage. You can that can be your job. Like that's the world we're in. Yeah. 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 It's it's so weird that like if I until I had heard about it. Sad though. Yeah, like like you wouldn't even think to make that up. It's too weird, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can't make it up. It's too bizarre. But yeah, the market finds a place, man. People, that's what people want. They don't want it's you know cool, sexy vampires are a lot of stress. That's a lot of. I can't identify with that. I want my vampires to. So it's like vampire cottage core is taken over. Yeah, absolutely. That is that's the perfect description. That's what it is. Oh my god, do I need to start writing about vampires who quilt? Is that breaking new ground? (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking too. Now, I mean, now that I think about it, this is kind of underground. Like they haven't made a movie of this yet. If we could get some money together and finance a vampire knitting movie, I bet I bet it would do all right. You know what? It probably would. Uh, We live in a bizarre world today, but we're about to get into some even more bizarre shit with today's movie. This movie is The Dwelling, a.k.a. Bed of the Dead from 2016. Key thoughts? Yeah, so this was that we noticed there were two different dead deathbed movies. There was this weird one from like, I think the 70s that was like lost and got found and whatever. And then we had that kind of tough decision of like, do we go with the old one that is probably bad, but maybe entertaining because, you know, it's such a weird old lost movie. Mm-hmm. Or do we go with this new one that is, you know, new and slick and maybe might be good. So we decided to go with the new one. And uh, I still don't know if we made the right choice. <laughs> so I, don't I still don't know either. But can I say that this movie did actually exceed expectations? Wow, your expectations were pretty low. <laughs> They were pretty pretty low, to be fair. But, like, for example, we did Ginger Dead Man last month. And I don't know if you've ever seen Ginger Dead Man, but dear God, was it bad. It was so painful to watch. I had to watch it in increments because it couldn't keep my attention. It was bad. It was like nails on a chalkboard bad. Just really bad. But I sat through this and, like, I mean, I was taking notes throughout it, so pausing it. But I was, I I watched this all the way through without, like, feeling pained. Like, it was entertaining to keep me watching. And we are kind of in that era where uh, maybe you couldn't make a movie with a plain iPhone. But if you have the iPhone with the three cameras, the fancy one, you could probably make a movie. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, literally everyone is making movies. They're coming out all the time on streaming services. This is just one of those. So I guess when you look at it that way, yeah, like, it could be worse. Shit, Steven Soderbergh filmed an entire film on his iPhone. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, like, mainstream people are doing that now. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, I don't think this movie is terrible. It, I really like the premise, actually. The acting is bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the acting is really bad. And the the effects are not great, but the premise is good. Yeah, this. Uh, I guess we'll as we go through it, I'll get into it. But it, this, this movie, it kind of gave me ideas for, like, oh, you could take this idea and do something with it and that's more than you can say for some movies so yeah i feel like they didn't nail any of the ideas in this movie but it did have some so yeah that's yeah yeah exactly it had some like good it had a good enough foundation that it was still watchable even with the bad acting and bad effects (laughs) 
which is actually kind of a feat, honestly. All right. So uh, I know this is predictable that uh, whenever I'm on any of your podcasts, I somehow either either I make it about Canada or I pick a movie from <laughs> Australia or, uh, you know, a Dutch movie, just something that's, uh, you know, I, I like these small country movies because I'm from Canada. Man, my Canadian alarm went off immediately with this Mine movie. Mine too. This is definitely a Canadian film. Yeah, so uh, the way it did for me is that in the opening credits, one of the last names was Giroux with an X that you don't pronounce. And uh, I don't know if you remember in Tom Green, there was Tom Green and Glenn Humplick, but yes. the guy who sat in the back and just drank coffee and laughed, his name was Phil Giroux. And oh, I was like, yeah, Phil. Phil. <laughs> I've never heard the name Giroux outside of Canada in my life. So right away, I had to just do a little Googling just to see if I was right. And it was kind of tricky because this is one of these movies that got a name change. Yes. So uh, it was hard for me to find information. But I basically did find that this director, Jeff Mayer, was born in Montreal, Quebec. And I was like, ding, 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 I did it. Like, I can't believe I identified this as Canadian within like one minute. <laughs> I was pretty proud. They also like the only major city that they mentioned is Toronto and uh, a lot of the actors are like Canadian actors like when I was digging into it so I'm like this is a Canadian film I'm positive <laughs> but uh, yeah so let's get into it the film opens up uh, with it's just like a 1700s looking peasant style guy <laughs> he's got that uh, kind of uh, dress to him and he's being dragged by what looks like four monks, probably satanic, because one of them is wearing an inverted cross. <laughs> they look like druids, kind of, but they're they're like satanic priests. That's just what's happening here. Um, so they drag this guy to a tree, and they just, like, string him up. And you can see that there's a previous victim still hanging there, like, rotting. And they proceed to string him up by his hands and stab him to death. I don't know why they needed to do that or if they just needed the blood for the ritual. But hanging him seems so much easier and less messy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that, uh, I don't know, if for some reason there was ever a remake of Bed of the Dead, that one of these things you could tighten up is like, this was kind of cool and this like tying this into this ancient relic or whatever. It's just... Uh, it's like they didn't quite, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's of like, what is this thing? How does this magical wood work or whatever? It'd be the kind of thing you could tighten up if you if you ever made another version of this movie. Because it's yeah. like a neat idea that it's like, here we are in the past and here's this like, I assume it's just that this tree soaked up this, the I don't know, just because people got killed around it. <laughs> it absorbs power or something. I don't know. I guess, I guess, like uh, people from like Ghost Adventures would say that it's got it's a soaked up bad energy or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so then I'm not sure exactly how much time has passed between the first scene and where we are now, but there's this huge looking massive dude who's covered in rusty chains and rusty axes who chops this tree down. Uh, the same one that we previously saw. And from this wood, he makes the titular bed of the dead. And now we are in modern daytimes. And there is a fire at the anarchist sex club. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> oh boy. We're about to get into a whole interesting cast of characters and whatnot. So we meet a detective named Virgil, uh, who's like having a coughing fit. 
kind of before he goes inside to this place. And there's five uh, dead on arrivals inside and several guests caught on surveillance that had not like formally checked in. So now we're flashing back in time, but not as far back as the beginning. (laughs) We're flashing back to earlier in the night or I guess like the previous uh, night because it's like morning, early, early morning, like 5 a.m. when they get to the... um, sex club the detective there's gonna be a lot of time jumps here so bear with me although i think from this point yeah, it is mostly just like that day and the previous night right it's just back and forth between those mostly yes it's yes yes uh it's just that but it does flip back and forth between it a lot it flips it flip-flops a lot okay so uh the unaccounted for guests are checking in or trying to rather but uh It turns out that one of them has been in a cabaret act at the sex club and they've been planning a foursome with the other three and uh, the boyfriend of the other girl goes over and his name's Ren. He goes over to a corseted clerk who tells them that the room that he had previously asked about is unavailable. Uh, But she accepts a bribe of $200 and gives them the room anyway. Uh, So this is a 300, the room's normally $180. This is a $380 room now. (laughs) And he's letting everyone know because he's pissed about it uh <laughs> this place too um like there's a bunch of uh snm swinger clubs and stuff in toronto i had a friend that was like huge into that stuff but this movie i checked was filmed in hamilton which is a couple hours away it's the birthplace of tim hortons so i feel oh. like where they filmed this was probably just some kind of distillery district or something or you know like it just looks like the place where oh here's what the old cobblestone used to look like and they just were like well pretend this is a sex club i don't know it's seemed suspicious to me that uh, <laughs> that this place was a yeah sex yeah as i agree that's that's an interesting little tidbit thank you for that okay so this is why the guests were not on the books because they were not actually booked to that room and they're they're snuck in under the table so the room is number 18 room 18 they're settling in and the cabaret dancer whose name is nancy and her boyfriend fred are in the bathroom getting ready for the tryst Fred's, like, taking his shirt off and, like, doing (laughs) push-ups. Like, trying to get macho or something. And she's, like, touching up her makeup. And they have this kind of fun little argument about, like, oh, I don't even care about this. Oh, then why are you touching up your makeup? I don't even care about this. Oh, then why are you doing the push-ups? Are you doing it for her? Are you doing it for him? And, you know, they're just kind of, like, jealous. Um, And it's, it's just kind of a dumb scene. But they go back into the other room. And the other girl, whose name is Sandy... Neither one of these girls seem excited about this. They just seem bored. Man, Sandy especially is such a drag of just like, uh, yeah, she's just really begrudgingly like going along with this foursome because it's her boyfriend's birthday or whatever. Yeah. It's like not at all fun banter. It it reminded me of like sometimes when like your friend is dating somebody and like they're just not a good match and you just want to say like, you know, you guys would just be so much happier. You'd both be happier if you just broke up but you can't say it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's what it reminded me of. Absolutely. Like they are not thrilled to be together, or at least she's not thrilled to be with him, but she is for whatever reason. And yeah, but anyway, so the guy is, to be fair too, he is an idiot. I'm not saying that. (laughs) Oh yeah. And we find out that he's like really an idiot later on. Um, but yeah, so the two guys are best friends, by the way, like that's how they all know each other. And those two are like awkwardly pumped for this. (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, like the girls are just like so not into it. So they're like, well, so how do we get this started? Because it's clear that like none of them have ever had a foursome before. So they climb on the bed and start drinking. And then the two guys are like, hey, why don't you why don't you two kiss to the women? And so Nancy and Sandy like sort of lean in and then Nancy opens her eyes and hallucinates like an old hag is kissing her. And she immediately is turned off and is like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's over. It's off. And uh, they just kind of lay down to like go to sleep, I guess. So back in the present, Detective Virgil is now investigating room 18. There's a charred body under the bed where the cursed bed used to be. And Fred, he, like, wakes... We're back in time again. Fred uh, wakes up (laughs) out of a dead sleep and kind of looks over and gets out of bed. And he sees his husky that I guess has been gone for a while or something. And he just kind of, like, motions over to it like, hey, Bowie. And then it bites Fred, but then it's not there anymore. He's hallucinating. And everybody is like, come back to bed. Get out of there. Like, let's help him. And then he gets supernaturally, like, pushed and then dragged underneath the bed and is seemingly gone. So I guess even though the rules of the bed of the dead are uh, a little weird and they seem to change, but this this sort of seems like it's setting up the basic idea is that the bed wants to find ways to lure them off of the bed and then it can kill them. Yeah, it seems that way. Like you're stuck to the bed and you're safe-ish as long as you stay on the bed or you never touch the bed. But if you touch the bed and you get off the bed, you're probably dead. <laughs> yeah, that's where, uh, like I was saying, how this kind of made me think of other ideas where when that first guy got dragged under the bed and killed, I was thinking like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to make a movie like this, but instead of a bunch of uh, smarmy 20-somethings, like what if it was little kids at a sleepover and there's an actual monster under the bed and then the movie is them on the bed and they can't get off the bed? It's like, that could be cool. So uh, if I ever someday make that movie somehow, uh, you know, and I pretend it was my original idea, <laughs> this is proof that I stole it from Bed of the Dead. Okay. <laughs> you heard it first. <laughs> All right. So we're in present day or no, actually, um, I forgot an important part. So they're freaking out because their friend just got pulled under the bed. But then the bod- blah, 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 blah. the bottle of vodka that they threw out the window earlier comes hurtling back inside and the window is now unbroken. And that's when they know that some fucked up supernatural shit is definitely happening and that they're probably screwed. Yeah, that's another thing where it's like, this, this movie, it's like always on the tip of, like maybe that suggests that they're in some kind of uh, like a time bubble or something. And it's just, uh, it's, it's just too bad that if you delve in there's no there is no answer like none of the mechanisms seem to work but they almost work (laughs) it's like it just needed a little more it did it was just short of something uh yeah so we're back in the present day and uh ren the guy who had to bribe the clerk for the uh room's body what oh yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) my notes didn't make sense to me for a second there Okay, so yeah, so Ren, he's been, they found his body, and he was hanging from the rafters and is charred to a crisp and, like, eviscerated from the inside out. It's a good time. So his corpse is hanging from these pipes, 
And they're like looking into that. And here is where we learn that Ren had a drinking problem that earned him multiple DUIs, including the vehicular manslaughter of a five-year-old that somehow only got him six years probation. That's way too lenient. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) No good Canadian laws. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, So now we're back with the detective and the owner of the club pushes his way inside to see the damage and ends up getting himself handcuffed for fucking with the investigation and being mouthy, I guess. Um, Back on the bed, the remaining three try to get help by throwing their key under the door in hopes that someone might unlock their door and free them. By the way, I guess they were really, like, looking at the angles because that was a one-shot thing. Like, if you miss and the key doesn't slide perfectly under the door, there goes that idea. (laughs) But it does. It magically, first try, goes exactly where it needs to. It's a movie, and that's movie magic. And, uh, and then, yeah, and I, this is also, I mean, this is a, a thing that I love in every horror movie, especially ones that have a very small cast, is uh, how do we get another kill in here? How do we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they hope that, the, obviously, they, their hope is that someone will see the key and open the door and they can, like, run out or something. Um, then they have an argument, and it's interrupted because Ren starts hallucinating this bloody child coming out of the sheets. So he, like, freaks out, and then he doesn't see his companions anymore. So he panics and jumps to the pipes above the bed. Hanging, he suddenly hears the two women begging him to come down just as he sees the bloody child entity on the ceiling across from him. And then he's, like, supernaturally pushed back on top of the pipes, and he rips his shirt off, And you can see now that there's something pushing on his stomach from the inside. And his flesh rips open and showers the two women with blood. Another one bites the dust. (laughs) Which I guess this is also, yeah, if if we were writing uh, the Wikia article about uh, the rules of the bed of the dead. So so it's not that you have to be on the floor. You just have to not be on the bed because he was above the bed. Yes, yes. If you leave the bed, you're dead. And we later learn uh, if you do something wrong. It's yeah. complicated. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meanwhile, in the more recent present, Virgil is questioning the pompous club owner who doesn't give him much info, but does tell him that he's read about him and like knows about his past. Oh, yeah, that kind of cracked me up a little too of just like you know that this detective isn't just a detective he's somehow local famous hamilton detective (laughs) you know yeah it's like a knives out or like nero wolf or something like the most famous detective in the world except this guy's just some guy but okay i guess everyone knows who he is Well, and we do learn that he's famous for not great things <laughs> that happen. Yeah, to I guess him. that's true. Actually, once they explain a story, yeah, now that you mention it, I guess there's a good reason why everybody in town knows who this guy is. Mm-hmm. It's not great. We'll get into that later. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, the we're back in time again, and uh, we're about to learn about the corpse in the hallway that we see that has a sheet over it. So the two women who are the only ones left now, Nancy and Sandy, they try to, uh, their attempt with the key under the door works, sort of. Earlier in the movie, we see them bump into this creepy guy who Sandy is like, hey, don't touch her. 
because he's like forcing the girl that he's with to like move with him and she doesn't want to. And then he's like, oh, you do. You want to like get something going? And she's like, ah, no, fuck off, slime ball. And this is the guy. <laughs> That finds their key, of course, the slimy guy from the hallway. So the second he opens the door, he starts hallucinating. Like, he's fucked from the get-go. And uh, he walks over to them, and he can't hear them screaming, and then he touches the bed. That And then that seals his fate. So he touches the bed, and now he's hallucinating that they are welcoming him to, like, come into the bed with them and play. And he's like, yeah, and, like... <laughs> getting excited and about to like get on the bed with them and then they disappear and then he sees that he's standing in blood and he starts to freak out and then he stumbles back into the hallway and a woman ghost like creature is contorting in the hallway in unnatural ways Kind of like Reagan and the Exorcist when she goes down the stairs or uh, Emily Rose and the um, exorcism of Emily Rose, the way uh, that actress like contorts her body. And so it, it looks- kind of made me think of like the grunge, the grudge to it as that, that uh, you know, jerky motion type thing going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The jerky, like super fast cuts where it's like almost stop motion looking. And uh, she strangles him to death and vomits blood in his mouth and uh, he chokes. And that's how we lost him. Darn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was right around here that because uh, I when I saw the director was Canadian, that's as deep as my initial research went. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is Canadian. And, and this is where it got confirmed because uh, not Sandy, but the other girl, she says, uh, look, I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> yeah. so Canadian. And as soon as I heard that one, because sometimes it's like hard for me to hear the Canadian accent, obviously, because sure. it's you know, my accent. But sure. once she said that, I started hearing it everywhere. The detective guy, like I just couldn't not hear the oats. Oh, this is terrible. Get him out of here. <laughs> just like, oh, shit, this is Canadian as hell. Mm-hmm. I noticed that, too. Like once you hear the first... And I guess it's easier for me, but two of my closest friends are Canadian, so I hear the Canadian accent a fair enough amount. Plus, I live, you know, I live close to Canada. But yeah, I noticed that too. Like, once once you hear it, it's so Canadian. Everything they say. Me, it almost makes me feel bad for actors that can't quite shake it. Because you think, like, what if Ryan Reynolds or Ryan Gosling or whoever, what if they didn't shake their Canadian? It's like, it's very small. It's a very small accent. But it just sounds so stupid, <laughs> the way we say oat. <laughs> and it, it really is. It's just a death sentence. Like, you can't be a gigantic, super famous actor when you say that. <laughs> so. Yeah, I feel like it's the same way where I'm from, where if you sound like a complete heck, your your acting career is just dead. And, you know, where I'm from, everyone has a thick Southern American accent, you know, Mississippi. Right. So, let's see. Where were we? And I was thinking, too, imagine how annoying it must be if you're a forensic detective but it's magical deaths because like, yeah. they were going through all these different corpses and, you know, he's trying to piece it together logically. Like, okay, well, there's some, this guy was burned. How come nothing else is burned? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> well, God damn it. You know, what am I supposed to do here? Yeah. That would be so perplexing <laughs> as a detective because you live in the real world and this is very much not real world stuff. <laughs> so um, after that, awful dude gets killed the door slams and they are still very much trapped on that bed then 
Fred's phone rings on the floor and they they like tie the bed sheet around a pillow and MacGyver it to pull the phone over, which was actually pretty pretty uh, clever. Uh, <laughs> they try to call 911, but the line is just static and it's like a scream. So Sandy texts Fred's mom because it's Fred's phone and it's mom programmed in there. And the text reads, call the police. I'm in trouble. Uh, then the other phones that are in the room start buzzing all at the same time like they all received that text which is weird and uh in the present we also see that the detective has also received this message it's a text transcending time and space yeah this definitely gave me like a shot in the arm because this was about 40 minutes in and uh I really just thought, like, all right, this is just going to be... Because now I hear it in myself. I feel like I can hear my own stupid accent anyway. Now <laughs> 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 that we've been talking about it. But, yeah, like, it really seemed like a very straightforward, like, okay, you've done evil things, so now the magical bed's going to kill you movie. So when this happened, when it's, like, the person from the night before is texting the, the detective from the next day, I was like, awesome, all right, there's, like, a whole extra layer to this that I was afraid was not going to happen. <laughs> so I was pretty excited when this happened. Me too. Um, so then we see Sandy, like, carving her name into the bed, and back where the detective is, it's happening in real time on a piece of the bed. Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Um, so waiting for the lab to get a print, Virgil falls asleep and dreams of his dead daughter, and he wakes up crying and takes a bump of coke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, to straighten himself out. <laughs> That just, uh, I mean, just uh, spoiler for the future. That's my most what the fuck moment because this guy just seems so milk toast and so bland and boring. He's just some basic detective guy, and yeah, he wakes up from the dream of his dead daughter. He pulls out a gun, like ah, oh, maybe I'm gonna do it. Maybe I'm gonna kill myself. Then he takes a bump of coke, and it's just like, like maybe it's just because I can't shake the Canadianness of this movie. But I'm like, get out of here. Stop trying to pretend <laughs> you're this edgy, tough, cool, troubled guy. Like I didn't buy it at all. No, but the character is troubled, <clears throat> despite the actor not feeling that troubled. <laughs> um. So, but I should mention that earlier we also saw him take like a discreet swig from a flask. So we. We know that this is a cop on the edge that's like not coping well <laughs> yeah that didn't seem so bad i guess just drinking on the job that's sort of uh maybe that just feels more canadian like that's what you do to numb your pain is you just <laughs> you just get wasted eh yeah yay uh, <clears throat> so the two women they're like huddled up together trying to calm each other and the detective manages to call sandy and they figure out that the detective is just two hours ahead of them in the future so virgil tells sandy that if she doesn't get off the the bed suit they're gonna die in a fire and the phone call drops and sandy tells nancy that she was supposed to die when she was in college but her fiance jumped in front of her blocking her from a shooter sandy's life went to shit after that so sandy thinks that maybe her dodging death is why she is here she thinks it's like final destination right. <laughs> um but nancy completely rejects this and it's like whoa i didn't do anything to deserve this uh you know speak for yourself and like i think she doth protest too much <laughs> yeah. uh and then sandy apologizes and the tv turns on showing nancy the surveillance a surveillance like video of sandy fucking fred so she freaks out on her is like are you fucking fred while i'm asleep no don't touch me this is all your fault 
And Sandy's like, this is all your fault. Or no, Sandy's like, no, 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 don't leave. It's not my fault. This, They're trying, the bed is fucking with you. But Nancy's having none of it. She's like, I'm just going to leave. This is bullshit. It's all fake. And the only way Sandy can get her to stay on the bed is she breaks a vodka bottle over her head. <laughs> and then she's like, I'm so sorry. But to be fair, Nancy also punched her in the nose right before this. So, you know, violence begets violence. <laughs> Um, then back with Virgil, we discover his daughter was killed by a gang member that he wrong, um, and then as a result, he wrongfully shot a young black man about a week after his daughter was murdered. And, uh, basically the club owner is is stirring all this up and he's the one who's telling this us this as they're having a conversation and that really triggers Vir- triggers Virgil who like fucking punches it through the window and then his boss yells at him and it's so overdone like calm the fuck out go sleep it off go sleep it off it's just really bad acting <laughs> And then his partner, who is the most boring actor I've ever seen, just, like, stops him and tries to stop him from driving, but then totally just lets him drive off drunk. (laughs) Okay, whatever. So then Nancy wakes up on the bed, and the two girls apologize to each other for, like, beating each other up. (laughs) And then Sandy says she thinks she's doomed on the bed because she decided to have her mom's life support pulled, even though she thought that her mom was going to make it through, which was apparently revenge for a forced abortion when Nancy was a teenager. Yikes, that's a lot of baggage. Yeah, it's one of these things where uh, I think as I've gotten older, like I've sort of started to like more and more um, just kind of aimless uh, art movies that don't have a plot, you know, that are just kind of meandering because sometimes like when you see stuff like this where it's like, all right, we need conflict, we need plot. And you can just tell that whoever wrote this was just like struggling of like, what can I do to ratchet up the drama? (laughs) And it just hits a, a tipping point where you're like, okay, I guess, <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, it's so dramatic. It's like, wow, you made that very elaborate. <laughs> you could have just been like, oh, I cut my mom off, but she could have made it. I And just, her just been guilty about that. But no, 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 she murdered her mother. <laughs> yeah, or what if even, you know, what if it's just a bunch of people and they just get killed? Would that be so bad? <laughs> yeah, why, why do we have to have all this moral conflict? I don't think that's necessary. So then after she tells Sandy all this, Nancy starts hallucinating her mom and is lured off the bed only to have seemingly all the bones in her body break and her like collapse in a crumple with blood. And uh, Sandy is now the lone survivor. Virgil is now interviewing a prisoner convicted of killing her husband on the evil bed. He's like, how is she alive? You know, so he goes to like investigate. And she tells Virgil that while she was in the bed, the bathroom of room number 18, the bed that made her husband hallucinate a wo- oh yeah the bed made her husband hallucinate a woman bathing in blood which caused him to then go back to the bed and gouge his own eyes out Ugh. Uh, so basically she's like yeah so i mean i touched the bed but i i'm a good person so he's the only one that died and she also mentions that by the way oh he got what was coming to him because he did something to a little girl and they do mention earlier when they're talking about like police notes of the body 
bodies that this guy was a pedophile. Yeah, so after she dropped that bomb, that's where I started thinking, like, is the bed the hero? Because <laughs> <laughs> if all these people really did terrible things, like, yeah, you know, maybe the bed is just exacting justice. You know what? You're not wrong. The bed is kind of a hero. I mean, yeah, I don't know that what... That lady who, uh, like, the pegging lady or whatever, like, yeah, she didn't even... The bed didn't even try to kill her because she's no. a legitimately good person. So, hey, there yeah. you go. Here's my thing, though. What did Fred do? We don't really know. Mm, but, I mean, you got to assume it was bad. <laughs> I mean, clearly. Something. And, you know, most of the things that are shown to them have something to do with what they did, right? Mm. Um, at least that's that's what it looks like to me. Um, so, yeah, like, what hot uh, what hot button issues are even left? So, I mean, there, some guy ran over a kid. Uh, the cop shot an innocent person. Uh, this other dude was a pedophile. Like, maybe, uh, maybe well, Fred like, stomped a kitten to death. <laughs> <laughs> How would you have the drama? Did, did he kill his own dog? Because it's his dog that shows up. Oh, These yeah. are all hard-hitting questions. Mm. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so, let's see. But, uh, alright, so San back with Sandy. Sandy begins, now she's all alone, you know. She begins to hallucinate her dead fiancé, Jake. And then Rin's leg kind of like slips from the pipe above her and knocks a gas pipe loose. And there's a gas leak now. And she sees that. And then a lighter also falls out of his pocket. And it's like, all right, so this is how it caught on fire. She's going to light it herself. And she even sees that. She's like, all right, I guess this is my fate. I'm going to kill myself, but I'm taking the bed down with me. <laughs> and uh, Virgil talks her down from it. And he's like, look. I've looked into it. If you've not done anything evil, you can literally just get off the bed and walk out of there. I promise you're going to be fine. And she does. She leaves the club and this brings the bed back from the ashes in current time where Virgil is because it's never been burned by Sandy now. So Virgil calls his partner who tells him that they are in the same place as him. They're in room number 18. And he's like, wait, what? (laughs) And his partner is in there and in like, I guess like an hour or two ahead, he is standing over Virgil's body, Virgil having shot himself in the head. And Virgil's still on the phone with his partner when he begins to hallucinate the young man he killed. And he sits on the bed and he blows his brains out. But it's not quite the end yet because we get one last scene that shows that the bed is being auctioned off. Buyers beware. (laughs) All right. So are we going to let's get into the kills. Let's get yeah, into it. I was going to say, too, I guess the thing, too, with like, uh, you know, him, the the cop at the end, you know, saying like, hey, I figured it out, which I guess he kind of did because he interviewed this other lady. But I think that's kind of my main problem with this movie, kind of, is that uh, I could have used like a research montage. You know? Oh, that would have been great. Like the yeah, history like, yeah, of the bed, some old yeah, book that told you about it. Exactly. Yeah, get a big book out. Because, yeah, like they never got into any of that. Or or even just with the, uh, the magical time phone where they're talking to each other. They yeah. didn't really establish very clearly how they knew they were on different times or why Sandy knew to, to carve her name into like just they just could have uh, connected the dots a little more of like how how now, did they know they were in different times and how did they know how the the bed worked and but they just kind of know they just sort of figure it out yeah they just feel it out you know someone gets off the bed and dies another person gets off the bed and dies i guess i shouldn't get off this bed or i'm gonna die <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, all right, so who do you have for best kill? I think my favorite kill was uh, when the second guy who gets uh, up into the, the pipes above the bed and gets his guts torn open and the blood pours on everybody. Because yeah. when the blood like rains down on the two girls, it reminded me of uh, the Evil Dead remake. Last time oh, we were talking about... Yeah. We were talking about how remakes really aren't as bad as people say and like... I was like, oh, yeah, I should watch that Evil Dead remake again, because that's what it reminded me of, this the blood raining. And I'm like, that movie was awesome. That Evil Dead remake is really good. Um, I used to have the movie poster of it, like, when it first came out. I guess, too, this kind of makes me think of Evil Dead also, because, you know, it is just the uh, the unstoppable magic of the, of the bed. Like, once it you start hallucinating and it just magically kills you and it really feels like there's no way out. Mm -hmm. And I loved how Evil Dead all the versions of Evil Dead kind of handle that. Like, it is just crazy evil. You have no hope. But somehow Evil Dead really just kind of makes it work. Where sometimes in other movies, it's like, I don't know, I could either, I could use a little more, uh, some more rules to this evil, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Some explanation. Well, I mean, you know, in Evil Dead, it's just like, look, once you recite those Kandarian verses, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, it's over. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> just don't read it. Don't open the Necronomicon. All right, so I'm going to go with the creep uh, with the room key with who gets uh, choked out by the angry ghost lady just because he was so icky. <laughs> and it did look pretty cool. It did look pretty cool, yeah. All right, so what do you have for worst, Kel? Uh, for worst, I just had the, the final gun suicide to finish the movie because uh, it just, not that the kill itself was so bad, but it did kind of, it, it really did kind of feel like, sort of like we were talking about last time with uh, a lot of these lower budget movies where you kind of get that feeling of we just need to hit feature length at any cost, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to make this production yes. viable. So it's like, all right, we did it. We're at 88 minutes or whatever. Yeah, just, just, he just kills himself. I don't know. Who cares? Just roll, roll credits. We're done here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, at least he did have that troubled past to tie that back to him. And it's not just he killed himself, you know? Yeah, it could have been worse. That's true. It, it, it could have. Okay. But it certainly, it certainly wasn't like one of those like endings where you leave the, if, I say leave the theater, like this ever played in a theater, but you know, where you leave the theater and you're like in that sort of daze of like, whoa, I can't believe that happened. This was the opposite of like, like, okay, I guess that happened. Yeah. See, when I went to see Men after I left the theater from that, that was like, wow, that was something. This was this would not have been that. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen that movie, Men? No. Oh, I won't tell you a thing about it. Just go hunt that one down. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, it's really nothing like this, but the other thing this movie reminded me of, just with the uh, the time phone and the different times, there was this movie that uh, Xander from Buffy was in called Coherence. Oh where, my god. Yeah, where it's like that, that uh, you know, different times, but times five. And just, it gets so complicated and so confusing, but it's so interesting to piece the stuff together. Yes. And it's a shame this movie didn't have a little more, <laughs> it's a shame this didn't have a little more of that going on. Yeah, I like Coherence. I, it's always on, like, the free streaming channels on Pluto. <laughs> I've, I've probably seen Coherence on Pluto at least five times. Nice. I've watched a lot of real bad movies because Buffy actors are in them, and that was a, uh, a very nice surprise <laughs> that it was actually good. Fair enough. I liked that one where Allison Hannigan and the uh, dude from, I think it was called I Might Be the Killer. Did you ever see that one? No, I did see Dead Man on Campus, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I might be the killer is pretty good. It's uh, I, I'm not gonna give it away, but it's it's pretty fun. It's got the uh, stoner from Cabin in the Woods in it. Oh, he's nice. like he's like the main character. All right, so who do you have for 
best character. Yeah, so I mean, uh, this is actually the last one I filled in because I'm like, geez, I don't know. I guess, <laughs> I guess through process of elimination, I would just go with the guy who runs the sex club just because he had the most personality of anyone. You know, he just had his little talk about like, hey man, I might be freaky, but at least I sleep well at night. You know, and I'm like, eh, yeah, I don't necessarily like you that much, but at least you have a personality where no one else necessarily did that much. That's true. I mean, he was also rocking some guyliner, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He was fun. Um, Sandy uh, becomes a better actress, like as the movie goes on. <laughs> I feel like I care about her a little more by the end when you like know her whole story and you don't think she's just bored. You find out that she's just not. She's just is never gonna find the love of her life again because she left. She lost him uh, to a shooter. You know. Right. And so she, she's just like bottoming out essentially with this this DUI guy. <laughs> Um, so I said Sandy just because she was like the final girl. I also want to say that I forgot to say my worst kill, which I said it was Nancy's death because it was an ambitious way to kill a character off. But due to the budget, we barely see any of it. And what we do see looks bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So worst character. So for worst, I'm going to say Sandy, but I will say only Sandy in the first half of the movie. Because, <laughs> yeah, like That's, once once you determine that she is the main character and you get into her backstory and stuff and... And yeah, I feel like, again, like I was saying how sometimes people just need to break up. After her boyfriend died and was out of the picture, she was fine. <laughs> it was yeah. only while he was around that she was a drag. So so true. As soon as he died, she was like 75% better. <laughs> yeah, totally. So first half of the movie, Sandy, for me. Fair. Okay. So I said, gosh, uh, <laughs> it's hard to choose. This is a movie full of awful characters. Should I choose the pedophile who rips his eyes out? The cop who killed the wrong person out of vengeance and couldn't act his way out of a paper bag? Uh, <laughs> Ren, who killed the little kid drunk driving? Or the creepo that I had for best kill? You know what? I think it's a tie between the four of them. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> worst, worst character. Almost everyone. Yeah, they were all pretty shitty. <laughs> All right. You already said your most what the fuck moment, but elaborate. <laughs> yeah, just where, uh, just again, yeah, because that cop just, uh, just maybe because of a combination of just that he, there's not much going on with that character and the actor is clearly nothing special. And yeah, when he, and I was okay with his drinking to show how he's uh, tormented by killing innocent people in his daughter's death, but it was the combination of he wakes up from his troubled dream. He pulls out his gun. It's all intense. And it's like, ah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to end it all. No, I can't. Let me take a bump of Coke. And it's just like, yikes, <laughs> man. It's like just way too much. <laughs> just, <laughs> like I liked how you described it. Like this, this cop on the edge. Like I just <laughs> didn't buy it at all. No, if they wanted to make this just just go full ham and turn it into a comedy, they could have queued up Bad Company when he takes the bump. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I said the guy ripping his eyes out was the most what the fuck moment because we see this woman in blood and then he just like runs out of there like ah and then he's crouched over and you're like oh you just know he's mutilating himself in some way and then the reveal does not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then I also, oh, what was your funniest moment? I think for that, it's, uh, it was about an hour in. So the, uh, the second dude had already been killed, like up on the pipes above, but that happened 20 minutes earlier. I kind of forgotten about him or I just assumed like he's dead. Let's just get him out of the way. 
So at about an hour in, the two girls are just laying on the bed and uh, and Sandy's staring at the ceiling. And then the camera switches to the shot of the eviscerated boyfriend's corpse still hanging from the pipes. And that made me laugh because I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. He's been up there that whole time. Yes, he has. At, the, at least you got to hand it to them. They kept the continuity. Yeah. And just the way that they never, you didn't even see him until then. And it's just like, oh, shit. Yeah, I guess. I guess he is still there. Like, I just didn't think about it. So that made me laugh. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I said it's a collective of all, like, you could do a, put a montage of all the, the really bad acting moments. And that was my collective laugh because I laughed at the bad acting a lot. Yeah, I would love to make like a super cut reel of all of the uh, just the abodes. <laughs> you know? like... Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> Maybe I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, just like if, uh, you know, if you're a casting director, I just, I, I, it's going to be one of those things like, you know, maybe somebody, I don't know, it's like if you have a list, but you don't realize and you need that brave person to tell you, like, you got to work on this. Like, that's what I feel like someone needs to sit all of these actors down and be like, listen, you're from Hamilton, Ontario, and everyone can tell. <laughs> It's true. We know where you're from. It may not be from Hamilton, but it's definitely from Canada. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think that about wraps it up, guys. Tell us what you think of Bed of the Dead. At... Oh, yeah, right. I also wanted to mention, too. So, yeah, the I mean, I couldn't find information about this movie first off because no one no one cares. You know, like sure. when something doesn't have a wiki page, that's a bad sign. Yeah, <laughs> I know, like... right? But then, yeah, it's because uh, it looks like the the current title is The Dwelling. Yes. But I, I assumed what happened is it came out as The Dwelling and it didn't make a splash. So just to try to get eyes on it, they changed the name to the like sillier Bed of the Dead. But it was actually the opposite. It was yeah. called Bed of the Dead. And they thought like, oh, maybe people will care more if we call it The Dwelling. The dwelling. Yeah, which is just strange because I feel like it's usually the other way. Like once a production has already, it's like, OK, it did whatever it's gonna do now let's see if we can get some b-movie grindhouse people to watch it by changing it to a silly name but they didn't they did the other thing they did and that was a bad move because the dwelling sounds so boring so and it's not even really accurate right because it, it's about the bed it's not about the dwelling well, yeah, <laughs> but the dwelling is a fucking sex club <laughs> <laughs> Calling it the dwelling is like just covering up the fact that it's the anarchist sex club. You might as well have just called it anarchist sex club. <laughs> that yeah, might have actually gotten more eyeballs on it. What could you, because I guess it's about, you know, if you wanted to take a different tack, like your, um, you know, it's your own uh, past that kills you. Something like the the duvet of, of despair. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like... The duvet of doom. Because I mean, I, I kind of respect things, you know, like Buffy or Ginger Snaps or whatever, like where they have like a, a silly title and then they work with it. So yeah, Bed of the Dead, like it's better than The Dwelling, you know. It is. But yeah, both names, neither one really gives you that right hint of what's going to happen. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like when we watched The Lift last time of like, uh, you know, that I wonder if that's how it got funding. Like the Lift guy clearly was like, you know, haunted elevator. And they're like, here you go. Here's some money. So yeah. Like, like Bed of the Dead. Like I'm sure the title is what got him financed, and then then it's like shit. Now what do we do? <laughs> I mean, you gotta hand it to him. It was a creative way to make the bed a killer. Yeah. Because the kind of the '70s is called deathbed, the bed that eats, and it eats you. 
I just realized, too, because this movie ends with a new couple buying the bed, that idea I had for it being about kids stuck on the bed at a sleepover, it could be a canonical sequel to this. It could be, Keith. Yeah, that could be that family and just like, Bed of the Dead 2. Get the director on the horn. Uh, here's the thing, though. The kids are going to be fine. They just don't know for most of the movie that they can't get off the bed. But the parents are going to come in and try to make them get off the bed. And it's going to kill the parents. Yeah, that's actually, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, because you don't want to kill a bunch of kids necessarily. And the No, and what could the kids have done? Unless the there's, children. like, yeah, one horrible kid. Yeah, it would be better if, yeah, just every every adult, like, the, the, the parents die. And then maybe some, like, firefighters or something show up or some police. And they all die and just. <laughs> it's just these kids are surrounded by uh, evil people being murdered. And the kids finally figure out, hey, wait a minute. It's all been adults. What if we get <laughs> off the bed? What if we're fine? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a pretty, that's a cromulent plot, man. That could be an all right movie. <laughs> that's not you know what? Movie. You know what? We could, we could bang this screenplay out. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, we are going to leave. I'm not sure. I think next month I'm doing Maximum Overdrive and Christine. So stay for Stephen King month in September. Nice. Yeah, that's very exciting because I was saying to you last time we were talking that uh, like the first thing I think about when I think about objects coming to life is Maximum Overdrive. So I feel like, yeah, this is uh, you were destined to get there. Of course. It's It's been in the docket since I started the podcast. Uh, I just like to let my guests pick things for the most part. Sometimes I pick if they're just like, I don't even know enough of those. You're the expert. And then I just throw a random one into the hat. But yeah, for the most part, I I let my guests pick things. So I just hadn't gotten around to it yet, you know? And nice. We've still got uh, another Bed of the Dead movie the same way that somewhere out there, there's another version of The Lift waiting. There's also another Deathbed movie waiting. So (laughs) so we got backup options. You know what, Keith? If If you can find down the next time you come on we'll do a double header of down and uh deathbed the bed that eats <laughs> yeah like clear up all of our loose ends or whatever yeah i think you know I, think- I, I never did check like it seems like the extreme course of action is to just try to get the actual dvd but i wonder imagine if this is one of these movies that like one guy on ebay has it and he wants like 80 dollars because it's so rare you know if it gets if it goes down to that i might write it write it off as a business expense <laughs> oh nice well we'll keep our eyes peeled and some it's yeah. out there somewhere i mean this movie does exist <laughs> we have to find it eventually that's true we're gonna find it stay tuned all right tune in next time guys bye-bye